and welcome to Ipsa Dixit. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is John P. Mayer, Executive Director of Cali, the Center for Computer-Assisted Legal Instruction. We will discuss his work at Cali, technology and legal education, and the Cali E. Langdell Casebook Program, among other things. So welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I'm a huge fan of Cali, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm really excited to have you on the show to talk about Cali and the work it does, because I think it's really uh, important, especially in this particular historical moment, which we'll get to later. But for listeners who may not be fortunate enough to already be familiar with Cali and its many programs, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of what Cali is, sort of where it came from, and what its purposes are. Whoa, it's, uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this very short. Um, so Cali is, uh, as, you, as you said, uh, the Center for Computer-Assisted Legal Instruction, which people point out is not Cali, that's C-Cali, but, you know, give us some, give us some space. Um, and it's a consortium, a nonprofit consortium uh, made up of law schools. So uh, we, about 98% of all U.S. law schools are members. They pay $8,000 per year. So our, you know, our starting budget comes in around $1.5 or $1.6 million. Um, and we've been around since uh, the late 70s. Um, but, you know, we're actually incorporated in 1982. So we're, we're coming up on our 40th year, which for uh, a tech operation is, uh, you know, 400 years, right? Um, uh, I, uh, we're probably best known for our Cali lessons. There's over a thousand of them. They're web-based, uh, self-paced learning, interactive tutorials that teach law. Um, they're used by, they're written by law faculty, they're reviewed by law faculty, and they're assigned or recommended or suggested to students um, who run them, you know, over half a million times a year from our website. Um, they cover 40 different subject areas. They're, 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 they're not just uh, collections of multiple choice questions. They're not lectures that you sit and watch, you know, passively. They're uh, rigorous hypotheticals that then pepper the student with questions and then may branch based on the student answers. So think of the student getting an easy question wrong. Maybe then they'll cycle around to, to, to ask easier questions. Think of the student getting a hard question wrong. They might say, you know, did you consider this? Because the, the goal of the instructor is to make sure that the student gets the right answer and the feedback and gets it for the right reason, not just from guessing. Um, the other two big things, actually two, maybe three things that we're known for. One of them is Cali Awards, which is kind of funny. Um, if you're a law faculty, you went to law school back when there was something called the, uh, the Book Award or the Amger Award. I don't know if you know the history of that, Brian. No, I don't. Tell me more. Okay. So way back in the 70s, uh, Lawyers Cooperative Publishing offered to give uh, an award to the student who got the highest grade in their class. And if you got that award, you got a coupon to get a free copy of the American Jurisprudence Encyclopedia. And so it became known as the Amjur Award or the Book Award because you got a free book. Um, it got so that uh, it turned into a verb to 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 get the best grade in the class was to book a class. Um, and you still hear students say that today. So in, 90, in 95, they, 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 they uh, well, uh, 
long before 1995, they stopped giving away free books because too expensive. Um, they'd give you like a $50 gift certificate to buy a book from them. Um, and then, you know, they even stopped doing that. And um, they, uh, we picked it up. Uh, we renamed it the Cali Excellence for the Future Award. We turned it into an online product, which is to say that the registrars type the names of the students into our website. And then we post a virtual award, a certificate with a permanent URL that we send back to the schools. But we also print it on a paper certificate and mail that to the schools. So the students have that to, to hang on their eagle wall and they have a URL that they can stick in their Instagram or LinkedIn or you know bio page, wherever they want. Um, it sounds silly, but uh, uh, but it's not. It's serious. And I'm delighted to associate Cali with the smartest law students in the country. So that's why we do it. Um, we've done over 300,000 of those awards in those uh, 20, 25 years. So so a lot of times people, when I say, oh, I'm, the, I'm Cali's executive director, they're like, oh, I got a Cali award. You know, and I pull out my phone and I look them up and I go, you mean this one? <laughs> <laughs> and they think it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I mean, I will say that like as a law professor, grading is always really painful, but giving out Cali awards feels really good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So so uh to to tie this to the uh to the present pandemic, um I've gotten like 20 or 30 emails from registrars who are quite concerned that now now that it's all pass fail this semester, how do they you know, are, are we still going to do awards? <laughs> uh, and I've told them, I like, you know, well, if you're if your faculty can pick someone, you know, who, who maybe the person who got the highest grade on the final or something, you know, will still uh, create a certificate and, uh, you know, and post it for that. Mm. Oh, that's great to know, because my students are all doing very self-directed work, uh, including research papers and research memos. And so it'll be great to have, you know, something I can do to recognize a student who's really invested themselves in producing a work product that deserves that kind of recognition. Yeah, for sure. So the third thing we're known for is uh, um, free casebooks. And um, it's a, you know, we, we all know that casebooks uh, cost too damn much. Um, and so we pay law faculty and not small amounts of money. I'm talking semi-serious money. I, I, I can't give a number, but it's often over 10000 or $15,000. Okay, I gave a number. Um, sometimes more even and sometimes less. It depends on the situation to write casebooks that we then give away for free as a Creative Commons uh, download. Um, you can also buy a paper version through a print-on-demand. We use a, a company called Lulu, lulu.com. And we use them because if, if we post our books there and don't put a profit on them, then they won't either. And so they print books for nonprofits at cost. As a result, you can get 800-page uh, casebooks from them for like $8 plus shipping. Um, but the real reason we're doing this is not because we think casebooks are too expensive. The real reason is we want faculty to explore the idea of, of, of being able to construct their own educational materials themselves. And so you can certainly download the PDF or you can download the Kindle version, but you can also download the Microsoft Word version of the books. 
And as a faculty member, you could then, you know, rearrange the paragraphs, uh, put commentary, you know, in between them. You know, I, I don't agree with the author and what he says here, which which is a learning opportunity, right? Uh, you can add cases that like came out between the time the book was published, you know, or delete cases that you don't think are important. And as the students, you can download the Word version and and let's say you could grab a paragraph, drop it into Google Docs, share that with your your study group, and then you know the five of you could take notes in it during class. You know, or if the instructor wants to do that, they could drop a, a copy of a chapter into Google Docs and then designate a note taker for the class, you know, as a way to uh, explore the idea of, of, of different ways of, of, of constructing legal education. You know, and the only way you can do that is if you, you know, you own the copyright and, and, and if you can give people the permissions up front, which we do through that Creative Commons. So, so the fact that it's free is like a is is a side benefit, but a you know a substantial one. <laughs> well, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that because I I personally think this is a really important and potentially quite transformational project in in open access education and open access learning. And <clears throat> I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like particular books that you've commissioned that law professors, because, you know, there are a lot of law professors who listen to this podcast. Now, are there books in particular you think law professors might be interested in? And what kind of uptake have you seen from law professors in adopting Cali casebooks and using them in their own legal instruction? So uh, it, it's very difficult for us to measure uh, adoption because we, because you don't, because the, um, the books are available on, on the open web. You don't even have to have registered uh, at the Cali website or be a Cali member school to use them. The lessons are behind uh, the password um, authorization, registration, sort of paywall, I, I guess we would call it. Um, but the books aren't. Um, we do get download numbers and we do get some, we, we ask for, you know, what institution are you with? Um, and, um, you know, so, so, to give you an example, um, uh, spring of two years ago, we had uh, over 5,000 downloads of books. Spring of last year, over 6,000, so about a 20% increase. And spring of this year, you know, about 7,000. So we're, we're seeing like a, 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 you know, a 10 to 15% increase every year. Now, the pandemic hit in the middle of the semester, so, so we wouldn't see uh, the spike that might happen as a result of people wanting to use an online book um, until, you know, sometime in the future. Um, but we've gotten a lot of anecdotal, you know, feedback from people as to this is, you know, who feel the same way you do. This is, this is the way to go for the future of books. Um, it's, it, it gives them the freedom or the agency to do what they want with, with the materials um, I, I believe that our books are of of the same or better quality than what's available from the commercial publishers. At least they're they're all written by tenured law professors, and they're all uh, reviewed by tenured law professors. We have a we we pay our reviewers to uh, to look at the materials uh, before we publish them. Um, I mean, the the ones that stick out for me, are maybe at. at you know, because we're 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 still, even though we've been doing this for a few years, we're still a relatively new publisher. 
uh, our most recent uh, publication is uh, a treatise of Wyoming workers compensation law, which is about as niche as you can get given the size of Wyoming. Um, but it's a, it's a perfect book for, for this sort of medium. It's not going to get a lot of attention. Um, you know, uh, the, the Wyoming folks aren't going to get a lot of attention from the commercial publishers, but, uh, but, but this is something that, that this, you know, we're, we're a place where that we can publish and, and, uh, and micro target, you might say, you know, that school or, or the lawyers in that, in that state. At, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we've got John Witt at Yale, who's a, who's a well-established commercial publisher. He's got other books. Um, and his torts and regulation cases, principles and institutions is, uh, I know, has been adopted by at least a dozen other torts professors. Um, and you can't you can't fault having a Yale law professor on your <laughs> on your bench. Um, and then Ruth Ann Robson, who's uh, at CUNY, and she's a, a fantastic instructor. Um, and she writes in uh, constitutional law, First Amendment, um, and things like that. Um, the, but probably our most popular book is um, is in the legal research and uh, writing area. It's uh, Sources of American Law and Introduction to Legal Research by uh, Bo Steenkin and Tina Brooks. And I know of at least uh, 30 or 40 classes in which that's been used. And they're even they're even in their fourth edition of that. They they because because they get attention and adoption they they uh they they do updates every single year to you know to improve it um and we pay authors for updates um so that our our stuff you know stays um stays current mm, well that couldn't make me happier because of course they're both colleagues of mine at the University of Kentucky and I'm delighted to hear that their book is doing so well yeah yeah it's great stuff uh we also um uh, Actually, one of our most popular books is uh, called um, Images of Law. It's a coloring book. We, we, uh, we, we have, there's, a, there's a lot of images that we've commissioned for Cali lessons over the years, over 400, which, by the way, you can use for free in your PowerPoints. They're all up on our Flickr uh, repository. But we grabbed a few of those and, um, and decolorized them and turned them into um, images that uh, are in a book that if you buy in print or if you, if you buy and uh, get shipped to you, you can, you can use as, a, as an adult coloring book, which I am told is a calming thing to do uh, during this uh, scary times of pandemic. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm actually delighted to hear about that because Mabel and I are working on an, uh, a law review article about legal coloring books, and uh, I was not previously aware of this one, and it will definitely be making it into the article. Excellent. Excellent. We, I mean, obviously, we, we grabbed images out of Cali uh, lessons, but we also included like a little bit of text from the lesson and a, and a link you know, back to the lesson. So there's a, there's a little bit of coloring book and a little bit of marketing going on there. <laughs> well, are there areas of law that Cali's especially interested in law professors producing uh, case books in? I mean, if listeners might, you know, this might sound like an opportunity to them. Are there areas or kind of qualities that you especially look for in a Cali appropriate casebook absolutely well, well first of all it's it's early in in the open education game for legal education and so it's a target rich environment um we only you know we've got like i mean if you look we've only got 30 or 40 books 
with, with some duplications. We've got a couple of contracts books. Uh, for some reason, the tax people love to do open case books. <laughs> um, and, and they're the ones that we have to pay to keep things up to date because tax law changes so often. Um, but we've got almost nothing in uh, uh, um, intellectual property, uh, cyber law. Cyber law would be something that changes a lot. Not, I know uh, I, I would love to have a full array of books in all of the bar prep courses, you know, admin law, civil procedure, uh, you know, crim pro, the whole thing. Um, and I put money aside every year in the Cali budget for this. Um, and a lot of it, we end up just rolling it forward until until we find somebody to uh, to do it. So, so you know, absolutely, write us, write a book for us. Um, it's uh, it, it I, I won't I won't lie. It's hard to write a book, um, and we want and and we get offers from lawyers uh, sometimes to write books or adjunct professors, um, and we we kind of push back on them because we really want people who have been teaching the course for more than a couple of times because we think that they bring experience or knowledge to create a better teaching product than mm. than than somebody who practices, which is not to say that, that there isn't room for a, a practice oriented book, but that's a, that's a different thing than a case book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I've always found with kind of Cali's products and the Cali approach in general is to be very kind of pedagogy focused and thinking about sort of what really benefits the actual practice of teaching law rather than the practice of practicing law necessarily as it were. Well, so that leads me to my last thing. I, I said we, we were, we're known for three things, but I'll say three plus one. Um, the fourth biggest thing that we're, that, that I, that we're working on is uh, a, a piece of software called uh, A2J author access to justice. Um, it started out as a, um, it started out as like a, a side project way back in 2000. Um, my, my board of directors, I had been with Cali for seven years. I've been with Cali since 1994, 26 years. Um, and my board of directors after seven years said, why don't you take a sabbatical, you know, and uh, you know, go, go write something. And I said, well, how about this project where, you know, I go study how self-represent litigants um, uh, deal with the courts because um, the uh, Institute of Design at at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology was working on that uh, with uh, along with the law school there, Chicago Kent. And, and so I went around the country, you know, spent, spent a day or two in five different courts watching self-represent litigants uh, fumble and bumble their way through the horror show that is our modern court system. You know, being told you're in the wrong place, you filled out the form wrong. I can't tell you how to do this right. Uh, I mean, Judges try to be polite, but they can't be helpful, and it was it was horrible. And the the students in the in the course did the same thing. They were design students and law students. It was a mixed, you know, across two colleges, and they wrote up a they wrote up a book, uh, which is uh, available. It's a, a, a called "Meeting the Needs of Self Representing Litigants," and what it, what it was was two hundred ideas about how to improve the courts. Some of them, you know, ridiculously unconstitutional. Um, others ridiculously practical, you know, um, and out of that book, uh, I, uh, we got a grant from the legal services corporation to write a piece of software that uh, I can only describe as sort of like TurboTax. 
So you know how if you do your taxes today, you, you go through a question and answer thing, but all it does is produce a 1040, you know, or the forms for tax. Well, our goal was to write a piece of software that a, that a legal aid attorney could use to create a question and answer tool for any court form. So an expungement, uh, a domestic violence temporary restraining order, an uncontested divorce, uh, uh, an eviction defense letter, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then uh, we've we've spent the last 15 years uh, working with legal aid programs to do just that. And so a thousand forms have been automated. They've been used over five million times in 40 different states. Um, uh, the New York Family Court is a huge user. They, they've they've automated uh, child custody um, orders, um, uncontested divorce, uh, things like that. And, you know, and so in some ways we're larger than LegalZoom, you know, which has fewer users, um, but, but they do have $200 million in venture capital. So I, I guess, it, I guess we're even. <laughs> well, that's an amazing. So, so, so the key about this project that I get is that people say, well, why is a, why is the center for computer assisted legal instruction doing access to justice? That's not your mission. And it is our mission. One, it's the, it's the sharp, point of it's the it's the intention of our membership being manifested in technology and legal practice and it's a tool that law schools can and do use as a way to teach their students that the future of legal practice is going to be online and automated at least for the simple stuff and so i've given presentations to 20 or 30 different schools um, and, uh, you know, a, a dozen or so schools have a class every year in which they, the students run up, do, do an automation project on a court form. Um, not all of them result in something that's a final product that actually gets used, but, but the, the, the learning that happens in the student's head is they start to see the law as a, as an algorithm or as a flow chart. And they also start to see the law as, as something where you should automate the easy stuff so that you have more time for the for the client interaction, the hard stuff that's not automatable. At least that's our goal. And, and we've been working on that project for 20 years, mostly with money that we got from grants and uh, legal services corporation. But, you know, it's it's a it's a Cali project. Mm, well, I mean, it sounds amazing. And I'm really glad that the organization is doing that kind of work. And I mean, it seems to me that it really tees up kind of the elephant in the room at this moment, which is that, you know, every law school, including Yale Law School, is now an online law school, <laughs> at least for the time being. And it seems like you and Callie are kind of uniquely positioned to kind of provide advice and thoughts and suggestions about what that means now and what that could mean going forward for for all of those different law schools, kind of thinking about this moment and what legal education is going to look like when we come out of this pandemic. Well, we are and we aren't. And, 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 and the we are part is um, uh, to, uh, to turn a phrase, Cali is the strategic national stockpile of legal education. Um, and uh, the, 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 the we aren't part is the states, the schools, uh, uh, have to requisition from the stockpile to, to get value out of it. 
um, you know, and, and unlike our, our, our current government, we, we, we will let you have it <laughs> um, in, in the sense that um, I, 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 I don't claim to know the best way to teach, to tell any legal and uh, law professor how to teach. And, and, and to extend that, I don't claim to tell any law student the best way to learn the law. Um, I think there's hubris, too much hubris there. And so our, our, our posture has always been to produce uh, as high quality as possible interactive materials informed by as much research as we can sort of figure out because the research on, on, on learning practices in, in automated materials or in, in interactive materials is all over the place. Um, and, and then let and then give people uh, the agency to do to do as they want. So, so we don't produce courses that people then just, you know, as a black box can like, you know, ship via Amazon to their students. We produce the, the things that you would put into a course and, and, and the ability to uh, adjust them or tweak them or to, or to pull data out of them to inform your own teaching practice or from the student's viewpoint, your own learning practice. And so what I mean by that is... Um, if students come to the to the website and run a Cali lesson, they see the score. Nobody else can see that score. If a faculty member comes and wants to see the score, they there's a there's a tool called Lesson Link, and they can create a unique URL. And then if they give that to the students in their class, and the students follow that link instead of the link on the website, then the faculty member can see their their students' scores. So what I hope that means is. Uh, formative assessment takes place where the faculty member says, oh my gosh, look, they, they got they got these easy questions wrong. I really better do a better job of covering that. Um, or, oh my gosh, they're doing great. I, I guess I can, you know, move on to the next thing. Um, there's even a, a, a feature at the website called Lesson Live, where if the faculty member runs the lesson in class and then the students run the lesson in class, it will in real time show the faculty member the scores of the students on each question. So it's sort of like poll anywhere, except it's done inside of a Cali lesson, one question at a time. And, and, and so they can use the, you know, whether they agree that the, that the author of the lesson knows what they're talking about, and believe me, there's lots of conversation with law faculty about that. They can use that and say, well, I don't agree with the way he, he's, he's teaching you this, but here's why. And I don't see that as a bad thing, that our stuff isn't perfectly aligned with every casebook that's out there. I, I think that if you're learning the law, you have to synthesize the, the view of the law from multiple opinions, right? At the very least, from the cases that are written by different judges. And at the very most, you have to synthesize your own persuasive approach to it and the opposing counsel's counterattempts to stop you from convincing the jury or the judge or the, or the, or the court of, of how you see how the case should be uh, determined. And, and so using materials that aren't um, purpose-built to just uh, feed like M&Ms into your, 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 your thought bubbles about the law are, I think, advantageous or actually, uh, I think that's a feature, not a bug, that, that, they're, that they're a third party sort of look at the materials.
Mm. Well, so I'm wondering, John, in in closing, you know, how you and how Callie is thinking about this particular historical moment where all of a sudden all law faculty members, basically, many of whom, frankly, were kind of, I think, a little resistant to online learning, are kind of getting a crash course or at least a crash experience in what it means to teach law classes online. And how Callie is thinking about, you know, sort of what that means for its mission, the, what it kind of the services it provides and sort of the messaging you, you all are thinking about going forward as, you know, we wrap up this semester and thinking about what legal education is going to look like in the fall of 2020. Well, I think, you know, I was, I've been, I've been having conversations all week about fall of 2020. And right now I think there's a greater than 50% chance that it's going to have to go hundred percent online or that they're going to have to cancel it and move it a semester forward or some other drastic thing. The problem is all of those are bad choices, right? Because if I'm a 1L and, uh, and, and the law school says we're going to go entirely online, I know I'm, I'm going to take a gap year. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to start law school this year. And, and if 20 or 30% of the law students don't show up this year, that's a massive hit to the, to the university or the law school budget, you know, so what, what to do, um, Maybe one solution is to say, well, we're going to go online, but, but, but trust us, it's going to be a rich and engaging experience. And, and, and by that, I mean, it's not going to be a whole bunch of law professors talking to their laptop cameras because that's, that, that was sufficient for emergency remote learning that we had to do to get through to the end of the semester. But that's not good enough to keep uh, people engaged long term uh, online. Um, no, no ed tech person would tell you, yeah, just just have people talk at a camera and everybody will be fine. No, you've got to do. You've got to have. Uh, you've got to have feedback. You've got to have interaction. You've got to have formative assessment that tells whether people are tracking. And those are things that Cali. Some of those things Cali can provide. We don't know how best for you to do that in your situation. Or, or, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to tell you how we think they might be used, but you have to sort of own, own the space because it is your space, your, your class, your, your curriculum. Um, and so towards that, I'm thinking that schools will be coming to us and saying, you know, we want to get all our students registered as, as neatly and cleanly as possible. How about if we just mail you a spreadsheet and you just register them? We don't have a you know, we, we don't have that built in right now because it's never been demanded of us. But I but we're we're looking to to build more capacity for easily either uh, assigning, adopting or, uh, you know, running and using our materials on, on a larger scale than we have in the past. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm really interested to see what you all come up with because, I mean, I can only say that I think as a law faculty member that this is a moment at which we really collectively need your help. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, and it'll be, you know, it'll be really informative to see what happens over the summer and as we kind of like approach the fall and the new semester. So 
Well, let me let me uh, let, let me add one one more thing. We 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 run a conference every year called uh, used to be called the Conference for Law School Computing. Now we just shortened it to CaliCon. Of course, we had to cancel the in person conference, um, and so it's going to be uh, uh, entirely online. But we're doing some clever things with it. It's going to be three days, uh, three hours a day at one o'clock, three o'clock, and five o'clock, and there will be three speakers each of those hours. Uh, 15 minutes each, and each of those sessions will be clustered around a topic that has to do with pandemic, legal education, and tech. Um, and if you register for the conference and pay $25, we'll send you a, a happy fun time swag box that includes a, uh, a T-shirt, uh, a name badge with a, a glue stick and glitter to decorate yourself, um, uh, some granola bars for the snack breaks, and some uh, uh, other surprises. Um, and and but my point being is we're going to use that conference as a as a as our first step in trying to figure out what we learned from these last two months, and and what we might start doing over the summer to prepare for you know what's what's coming in the fall, um, and we hope that by breaking the the conference up into these very small pieces, people will attend you know, that which they want, you know, and, and not have to feel like they have to sit their butt in the seat for eight hours to, uh, to get value out of it. Mm. Well, count me in. I'll definitely be registering. I look forward to it. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today, John. Oh, it's been a blast. Thanks so much, Brian. Mm-hmm.